We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Continuing in our series in the book of Acts. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 8, if you want to turn there with me. So far, what we've seen happen is Jesus told his followers to wait. Wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the power that Jesus did everything he did through. He said, that same power is coming upon you, and you're going to do great things also. But it's not them doing the great things. It's the Spirit of God at work in them. And so while they're hiding out and they're scared and they're wondering what's happening next, the Spirit, while they're praying, comes upon them. And they go out and they boldly start telling people about Jesus. And then miraculously, like people listen. (laughs) And many lives are transformed as thousands of people begin to believe. And they start building this new community where they're learning how to care for one another, how to lay aside their own preferences and desires and selfish ideas for the sake of others, even laying down everything that they have, material possessions, in order to make sure everybody has what they need. And while this is going on, we see there's some tension. There's some outside people looking in going, wait a second, didn't we kill this Jesus? And now you got like even more people talking about him? What happened? They, they got rid of this guy to keep themselves in power. And now suddenly there's this huge, massive community growing and it's growing more and more daily. And so they go and, and we read last week that uh, they actually end up killing one of these followers now, a man named Stephen. And Stephen dies uh, physically in a different way, the way that they killed him, but in his posture, And in the power of the spirit within him, he gets to look like Jesus through it. He prays for the very people killing him as they're doing it. He he shows compassion and forgiveness for them. And he gets to see Jesus himself while he's being stoned to death. Stephen, we learned, was just a guy who was picked from a group of people to help make sure everybody was fed at the tables, right? Right? And we were given a list of seven men, seven names of different people who were chosen to serve at those tables. Stephen was one of them. And then Stephen seems to be, we we get zoomed in on this miraculous thing that then happens in his story. But then after that happens, everybody starts dispersing. Because then Saul, who's there present for Stephen's death, he gets really emboldened now to go on this rampage on the church, on the people who are following Jesus. So they go out and they start dragging out men and women, even from their homes and bringing them to prison. So everybody scatters. And now what we're going to do, as Luke continues writing in Acts, he's going to zoom in on one of the other seven men who has chosen to wait tables and how God is going to continue to show his power through more ordinary people like you and I. So in chapter 8, verse 4, it says this, So those who were scattered went on their way, preaching the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. 
So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least of them to the greatest. And they said, this man is called the great power of God. They were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. Let's pause right there. This is God's word. We're going to continue reading on in that in just a moment. But for right now, I want to to pause and reflect on a few things. Uh, So many years ago, earlier on, before 18 years ago, before we were married, uh, friends and I were doing this kind of Bible study thing inside of a house. We weren't any part of any church together. We were just a bunch of friends that said, hey, we want to get together and we want to look at this. And so we met in a home and we shared a meal and we sang some songs and we read the Bible. And one day, someone in the group said, hey, I want to invite a friend of mine. He's actually like a a spiritual mentor. This man has great power. (laughs) These are the words used. Uh, He's a prophet. And I would love for him to come and just kind of maybe sit with us. And, you know, I I was no part of this. I wasn't in any, I wasn't in charge of anything at all. And so they agreed. They said, yeah, let's, let's bring him in. And so he comes in and it was a man and he had two or three, I can't remember, women with him. Uh, who were all wearing like the little house on the prairie long dresses, you know? Um, and then he was just dressed casual. Like he could, he could like wear whatever he wanted. And so they come in and they're just sitting there very quiet the whole time, right? And not saying much as, as all of us friends are catching up with each other and asking each other how you're doing. And of course, you know, this happens anytime you ask someone what they're doing, right? Like there's always going to be someone who's like, I'm just tired, you know? Like, because we're all like doing things and, feel like we have to be tied to a schedule, and there's probably something to examine there. But finally, when this man spoke, what he said was, there is a demonic force oppressing all of you here. And we're like, whoa, what? <laughs> Calm down, bro. Nice to meet you. <laughs> and he's like, a couple of you said you were tired. That is demonic oppression. And I was like, I'm pretty sure Jesus got tired. Like, Scripture tells us that, you know, like some of us are just tired physically because we were doing a lot of stuff today, you know, but, and not everyone said they were tired. So it's not like this like force of nature coming on us or evil force. But he's like, there's a, there's a demonic force of, of uh, oppression on you guys. And you're all tired. I go, okay, where's he going with this? And he continues uh, to just basically call out like every one of us saying that there's a demon in each person. And finally, one guy who was in charge of things stood up and said, hey, you got to go, man. Just leave. After they went back and forth for a while. So he left, and the guy who invited him was really upset about it, and the women didn't speak the whole time. It was a really weird situation. It seemed to me uh, that, and I, and I don't know this man. This is my only encounter with him. I don't think I've ever seen him again. Uh, but it seemed to me that he was saying he had this great power with him and using it to have control over other people. Namely, those women who were with him who weren't allowed to speak. 
It was a really weird experience. And I bring that up because uh, what we're seeing in this story that we just read, I think is something somewhat similar. There's this guy, Simon, who uh, says he was using sorcery. Simon the sorcerer. And he had great power and great influence over the whole town there in Samaria. But then we see the power of God show up. The power of God is going to meet this man who was making himself great. And it's going to meet this whole tribe of people who were looking to that man and saying he was great. And then they're going to see something truly great from an ordinary person who was called to wait on tables before that because the spirit of God shows up. And I love how right off the bat, when we see this, when we start in verse four, it says, after they were scattered, remember they're scattered because they're being truly persecuted and oppressed by the religious leaders and authorities around them. They're fearing for their lives because one of their friends, one of Philip's close friends, one of those seven, Stephen had just been murdered. And now all their family and friends are being hauled off to prison. And it says this, so those who were scattered went on their way hiding. Right? So those who were scattered went on their way back to their old life, trying to blend in and fit in and not cause a scene. It says, so those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. The very thing they killed Jesus for, the very thing they just killed Stephen for, the very thing that many of them were getting thrown into prison for. And they, so, because of all that, so they went on their way preaching the word. Remember this group of people that was hiding out after Jesus died. And even after they saw him rise again and ascend to his throne in heaven. But the spirit of God, the power of God has now come upon them and given them not just boldness, but also love. A sacrificial kind of love that says, even at the cost of my own life, I want these people to know and hear the good news of Jesus. We're already seeing the power of God show up in that line. Forget about trying to understand what kind of miracles it just talked about Philip doing, like what kind of signs and wonders was he doing? I don't even know. It doesn't tell us because that's actually not the main focal point here. The power of God showing up in these people being willing to give themselves up for the sake of others knowing Jesus. That's incredible right there. And they had this guy in town, Simon, who was going around doing stuff, who knows what also, it doesn't tell us that. We don't know if Simon was actually tapping into some kind of demonic powers and being able to do things with uh, manipulating nature or people, I don't know. Usually when the Bible talks about sorcery, it is somehow doing something with nature or with getting control over other people. We don't know if he was actually tapping into some kind of power to do that or if he was doing some kind of parlor trick, you know? I, I actually was going to have Liam come up here and do a card trick for us today, but um, I put him on the spot and I asked him the last minute. But, you know, there's, we know, we think of magic, we think of sorcery, and in our Western minds, in our highly enlightened, rationalistic minds, we immediately think like it must be some kind of illusion, as Job would say from Arrested Development. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't look it up. Anyway. Is it some kind of illusion? Is it a parlor trick he's doing? Or is there something else going on? It doesn't matter. We're not told. Because either way, what we are told 
is that even Simon sees the power of God at work in Philip, and suddenly he believes. Even Simon, who had all this great power, it says, we're told that he was trying to make himself great, right? Claiming to be somebody great at the end of verse 9. All the people paid attention to him, from the least of them to the greatest. He had everybody eaten out of his hand. And they said, it wasn't just that he was claiming to be somebody great, but they said, this man is called the great power of God. And then he sees the real power of God. All these people start believing and following Philip now as he's pointing them to Jesus. And then even Simon himself, he moves from being Simon the sorcerer to Simon the saved. He comes and he believes these words. And I wish we could stop there because what a cool story, right? But then some weird stuff starts to happen after this. I wish we could stop there and go, man, lots of people, they became saved. Uh, They were getting baptized. Like, this is great, right? Things get a little messy after this. Picking up at verse 14. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem, remember, these were the people, the disciples of Jesus who saw him, like face to face, they followed him. They knew him personally and physically. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter told him, May your silver be destroyed with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter, because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. So after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And that's as far as we'll go in the word today. Let's look at that for a moment. What a, a cool story. Simon himself, even, he believes, right? And he, he starts following Philip around everywhere. He becomes like his little tail, and he, he's trying to learn from him. And then Peter and John, they get news like, oh, Samaritan people are being brought into the faith now, which we're going to get to in a second because that is significant. So they go and they visit, and then they pray that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And Simon's amazed at that. He's seen Philip do all these great things. He's seen the power of God. But man, these men just, they laid hands on somebody and prayed. And now suddenly they're filled with the spirit. I want to be able to do that too. Peter calls him out. Peter, whose name used to be Simon, by the way, calls him out and says, I see that there's bitterness in you and you are bound by wickedness. How does he see that? 
If we were to kind of guess here, this is my guess, Simon was in charge. He was running the show. He was like the man. People were all looking to him, right? He had the power. And suddenly this dude Philip shows up and now he's got all the power and everyone's looking to him. Do you think there's an opportunity for bitterness to take root there? He starts following around Philip and it says that he believed the words of Philip. He believed Philip and he's following Philip. I don't know if he was following Jesus. He's trying to learn this power, right? He's trying to kind of be discipled by him so that he could do those things too. Because the way things would have worked back then is if you were this kind of sorcerer, if you were seen to have great power from God, then you would actually be able to charge money to people in order to do things for them. So he had power and influence and probably was doing pretty well financially with it. And he's now willing to make an investment to continue his business. I will pay you, Peter and John, in order to be able to have that same power so that anyone I lay hands on will be able to do that. And if they don't have my hands laid on them, they don't have the spirit in them. What do you think is going to happen? People are going to be willing to do what for that? And they got to come to who for that? It's this posture again of wanting to use the power of God in order to create a name and power for yourself. And I don't know if this has always been Simon or if he really believed the good news of Jesus and was saved and he's just slipping back into his old ways. Simon the saved is now acting like Simon the sorcerer. I can totally relate to that. I can totally relate to acting like the person that I am without Jesus at times, even though I know the truth. Or it could have been that he, he never truly believed. As we're told in James, even the demons believe in the name of Jesus and shudder at his name. It could have just been this intellectual belief, right? Okay, I believe what you're saying, but I need that power for myself. Instead of the kind of belief that I believe scripture calls us to, that Jesus invites us into, which is a, I will put my life in your hands. I fully trust you and I belong to you. You are the king of my heart, as we sang earlier. My life belongs to you. You're in control. You are the one with the great power, Jesus. The story kind of reminds us of a few other stories we've heard before, right? And I met with in our preaching cohort with John and with Will earlier this week, and something John pointed out right away is this kind of reminds us of the story we heard of Ananias and Sapphira, doesn't it? Ananias and Sapphira were coming in and trying to get personal gain from this community of God's people. Remember those two people who they sold their land. They said they sold it for X amount and brought that to the whole community to share and disperse. But really they had more that they didn't tell people about. And the problem wasn't that they should have given all of it and they didn't want to. The problem was how they lied about that to manipulate and to get from the community instead of giving to the community. And we, we looked at how we think possibly in that story, Ananias and Sapphira were actually kind of these outsiders of the community, not true believers, because we're told then after that, nobody else wanted to join that community after they died, right? But believers, true believers were joining daily. And so it seemed like they were kind of this, on this outside of the community saying, how can we get into that and get from it? How can we get something for ourselves? 
But as John pointed out, it also reminds us of a similar story with Peter. The way that Peter gives this harsh rebuke to Simon sounds similar to the way Jesus gave a harsh rebuke to Peter himself, who was a believer, who was following Jesus, who later does become filled with the Holy Spirit. But Peter, not necessarily looking for personal gain, but national gain, we're going to go in and we're going to overthrow Rome so that Israel can become a great nation again. And he says these things to Jesus about, hey, you don't, you don't got to go through that. Don't, don't go to the death that you're talking about right now, Jesus. Like, what is that? No, no, we're going to go in and be victorious. Greatness, power. I'm going to be right there by you when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' harsh words to Peter says, get behind me, Satan. Because in that moment, he was allowing this trickery of the evil one, this deceit to come in and whisper lies in his ear and say, hey, you don't need to go through suffering and you don't need to go through loss and you don't need to lay your life down for others. But instead, it's the same thing Satan was trying to do to Jesus in the wilderness. Do you remember that? He, he, Jesus is out there in the wilderness, led out there by the spirit, full with the spirit, and Satan shows up to tempt him. And he's saying, you could have all this, this kingdom, this power, these riches. You don't have to go to your death. You don't have to sacrifice. I'll give it all to you. There's those lies of Satan now whispering into Peter's ear, speaking it to Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I'm not having it. We're not doing that. Jesus does what the first man and woman couldn't do in the garden. He squashes the lie right there in the moment and he speaks truth to it. Because this reminds us of another story too, doesn't it? All the way back at the beginning of the story of the world, the beginning of our Bibles, another person who sees something that is great. It's a good thing, but reaches out and grabs it when it doesn't belong to them. They desire something that doesn't belong to them. They reach out and take it for themselves so that they can become greater, so that they can make a name for themselves. God says, you can have anything here in this garden I gave you. Just don't eat from this one tree. And they think, well, maybe God's holding out on us. And the lie of the serpent in the garden is the same. Hey, you don't need to go the way that God's showing you. You could become great for yourselves. Maybe he's holding out on you. And that lie creeps in. And instead of squashing that lie right then and there, instead of stomping on the head of that serpent right then and there, they believe it and they reach out and take. That's really the story of humanity all throughout scripture over and over and over again. All these stories start to sound very similar, don't they? There's a person trying to reach out and make a name for themselves, to take something that doesn't belong to them, to make themselves great, to puff themselves up. Philip is there in that city, able to show the greatness of God, the power of God, because Philip wasn't making anything of himself. Philip was walking in the shoes of Jesus as he goes into the town of Samaria. You remember how Jesus, when going around preaching the good news, he goes and meets a woman at a well. 
She was a Samaritan woman. And the Jews would have hated this. In fact, his own disciples are like, what are you doing talking to a Samaritan woman? Because Samaritans were considered worse than any other Gentile to them. The history of the Jewish people and the Samaritans is that hundreds of years before that happened, there was a, a Assyria that came in and took over the northern kingdom of Israel. And they started marrying their women and having children. And so they're a mixed breed, if you will. They're part Jewish, but they're also part not Jewish. And the Jewish people who would have prided themselves on being God's chosen and being clean and holy, they hated that. They shunned them. They were like worse than dogs to them. And Jesus goes and he meets with a woman at the well. And even her own people in Samaria are shunning her because of how many men she's been with. And Jesus sits with her and he talks with her. And he reveals that he knows, he knows her, he knows her life story. But this woman's not there trying to make a name for herself. She's not trying to become great. She's not trying to grab hold of power. She's humbled. She knows she's in need. And Jesus meets her. And he embraces her. He welcomes her into his kingdom. And so she runs and she goes and she tells everybody, hey, come and meet somebody. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And he still wants me to be in the kingdom of God. And so lots of people in Samaria start hearing about Jesus. Philip is now emulating his Jesus in the same way Stephen emulated Jesus by dying and loving and caring for and forgiving the people killing him. Philip gets to emulate him in his life now, going to Samaria, spreading good news, not to make himself known or to make himself look great. Listen, after they were just scattered, if Philip's thinking, I'm going to go somewhere and get a platform, you don't go to Samaria. That's not what you do. But the Spirit leads him there. And the Spirit later leads Peter and John so that they can be part of these apostles the leaders of the church at this point, who are Jewish men, they now get to witness that Jesus is bringing his kingdom for all people. I, I don't know exactly why we're told that like they were baptized in Jesus and then later needed to be baptized in the spirit when we know scripture tells us there's one faith, one baptism, one spirit, right? But that's in Ephesians 4, by the way. But 1 Corinthians 12 tells us this that the one baptism is for all nations. It seems to be that God was orchestrating this moment so that these Jewish men, apostles, leading the church could come in and see the unification being brought with these Samaritans. And when that happens, it is starting to trace the flow that Jesus laid out for us in Acts 1.8 when he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. In Acts 10, we're going to hear a story about a Gentile person, a Roman, possibly Greek Gentile person who hears and receives the good news of Jesus. And his order is backwards. He's first filled with the spirit and then they dunk him in some water. So I don't think the order matters. Uh, what we're seeing 
is this flow, this movement, moving out from who God chose to represent him for the sake of all nations, and now it's actually finally happening. Because Israel bought into the same lie. Instead of being a people who are blessed to be a blessing, to show the good news of God to the world around them, they reached out to take greatness for themselves. Look at how great we are. We're we're God's chosen people. Look at how many battles we've won. And God, Jesus comes and he crushes the head of that lie. And now finally, the good news is spreading from Jerusalem to Samaria. And as we'll see throughout the rest of Acts, it's it's mostly gonna focus on the whole world, the nations. That's what that word Gentile means. It just means nations. The power of God is in people being willing to humble themselves and say, I'm not that great, but I have a great God. I'm made in his image. And his power at work in me is more than enough. It's all I need. And I'm willing to set my desires and my selfish ambitions aside so that other people might come and know the greatness of this God too. That's how this story leaves off. Hey, listen, Simon, you're you're not that great, right? In fact, what you're doing, it's filled with wickedness and bitterness. And we get this response from Simon, would you pray for me? Pray for me. And again, we don't know his motives here. It could have been, so none of that stuff happens to me. I want to avoid bad things. But this response of, man, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble without God showing up in my life. So here's our question for today. When we come to God, are we coming to him to meet some kind of desire of ours? Are we coming to him so that we can overcome an obstacle in our life so that we could experience power, greatness? Are we coming to him so that he can meet a need that we have? Are we coming to him because he's going to fix things in our lives? Are we coming to him so he'll solve our marriage problems or so that maybe like I won't be depressed anymore or whatever it is? Are these the things we're coming to God for? Or do we just see the free gift of God given? You know, when those first humans reached out to take something so that they could become like God, they were already made in the image of God. When Peter is like, hey, don't, don't do that, Jesus, so that Israel can become a nation. Jesus is already, he's the Messiah who's come to fulfill the promise that Israel would be restored one day. It's just not the way he thinks. When Ananias and Sapphira are trying to withhold things so that they could build something for themselves, God was clearly providing for a whole community of people who were laying it all down. And when Simon is right there saying, I'll give you money, so that you can give me this power. He's seeing all these people around him given the power of the Spirit freely. Peter says, you thought you could buy God's power, the gift of his Spirit? That's the lie of the enemy, that you think you have to earn it, that you think you have to prove something to get it, that you think you could buy it. Is that how we come to God? 
God, I'll, I'll do these things so that you do this for me. Or are we laying down our pride, laying down our arrogance, laying down our greatness, and just simply saying, I need you. I need you. Pray for me. Jesus, come save me. Spirit, fill me. This story, it it points us more than anything. Of all these stories we remember, it points us to the story of Jesus himself who we're told had the fullness of the image of God, the great power of God fully residing in him. That name that Simon was getting called actually belongs to Jesus. The greatness of God, the power of God, the image of God himself, Jesus, doesn't use his power to gain control over other people, but he lays it down and he lays down his own life for the sake of others to come and find him. May we, the way he allowed Stephen, the way he allowed Philip, Peter, John, these are ordinary people who made mistakes, but may we, by God's great grace, by the gift of his spirit within us, by his power, be able to go out into this world and be willing to lay down our preferences and our pride for the sake of others coming and hearing the good news of Jesus. Amen.